This show is brought to you by Zumio. Welcome to the Human Capital Show, a podcast with the sole focus to help you achieve an equipoise in the HR world. If you are looking for a one-stop shop to learn about leveraging the power of SaaS in HR, you've come to the right place. So grab that cup of coffee, kick back and relax your mind, and hone in on our conversations. Buckle up for an in-depth ride to HR on the Human Capital Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Human Capital Show. In this episode, SaaS Industry co-founder Benjamin Matthew has a one-on-one with Ben Jackson, VP of HR Technology and Analytics at AT&T. Listen on to hear how Ben and Ben exchange their own experiences of working through the pandemic, the effects of digitization within the HR realm, and the value of human interaction across different mediums and contexts in today's post-COVID world. A lot of great insights up ahead, so listen on and enjoy. Hey everyone, um, I've got Ben Jackson here who works with AT&T. Um, now Ben is the VP HR for Technology and Analytics um, at AT&T and uh, welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Good to speak to you, Ben. Well, first and foremost, um, love the fact that I get to call my own name, uh, which is also your name. So, <laughs> you know, uh, hope the listeners don't get confused, but hey, Ben. <laughs> yeah, good luck, listeners. <laughs> I know, totally. Um, so, Ben, uh, getting back to the topic at hand, um, would you mind giving the listeners a, a quick brief about uh, what you do um, at AT&T and uh, your role um, in general? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm a vice president in HR, and I lead our uh, HR technology organization. And um, we're currently in the middle of a, a workday implementation, uh, which I'm sure many listeners have have been through this experience. So uh, we're about two years into a workday implementation. Um, I also have uh, another functional team in our technology organization that is working on and maintaining all the HR systems that are not going to be in scope for Workday. Um, also have our uh, people analytics team that reports into my group, uh, which obviously there's a, a strong connection between uh, the technology uh, team and, and the data that they, uh, the kind of data exhaust that comes out of those systems and then is captured by our people analytics team where we're really trying to drive um, insights and predictive modeling uh, as we partner with the business. Uh, and then lastly, I have the global policy organization, which um, I've actually carried around with me for about five, six years now as I've moved uh, in between organizations. Um, and so a lot of people are probably like, that seems to be an odd fit um, <laughs> to compare and, that, and with yeah. those other groups. Um, but actually, uh, so one of the things I've worked probably mostly on the last year and a half, two years is the mm-hmm. AT&T COVID response. And so um, it's been this really interesting, also very challenging um, project, but where kind of policy and data and systems come together, there's been a lot of synergies there. And right. so as we think about you know the health and safety of our employees and our customers, uh, it really has been beneficial to have that policy organization kind of riding shotgun and sitting next to to technology and, and data. So we've um, kind of made the best of it. And um, that's an overview of, of uh, what I do for AT&T. That's a handful. Uh, I'll give that to you. Um, 
but I love the fact that you brought up policy and, and, and that's something that um, the pandemic basically would have, uh, whatever policies you had, you literally had to throw them in the uh, rubbish bin and then <laughs> restructure everything, right? Um, uh, like, what are some of the stuff that actually survives the pandemic? I'm, I'm more curious to understand what that would be. Would you be able to talk to us about that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of this is, is literally unfolding in front of us right now. And in many ways, I think there's a lot of, there may be more questions than answers sometimes. And, and so that, that's been the hard part. So we, we have net new policies that we did not have before COVID. So uh, yep. we, we made a very hard decision, but uh, one that we're um, you know, glad we made uh, and, and did the hard work on. So we, we have a vaccine mandate policy um, that uh, went into effect uh, across two kind of different implementation timeframes for our, our management population or what we would call like our non-union uh, workers and then our union population uh, they went live in, in February 1st with their own vaccine mandate. So, you know, that's something that um, we didn't, we didn't have a, have a flu vaccine mandate or anything like that. This is, this is obviously, uh, you know, we're not a healthcare company. We know that for other industries, they've, they've walked uh, in these shoes for a long time and had to take this on for their workers and their, uh, their employees. And so, you know, this was new for us. And, um, and so the, the vaccine mandate, our, our masking policies, um, and, and just uh, our our evolution to hybrid uh, hybrid worker policy, uh, mm -hmm. where we we had remote work before, but it was you know fractions compared to the number of people that are working remotely now uh, yep. in our in our non union space. So you know these these things are here to stay uh, in some form. I, I think they'll continue to evolve over time. I, I think Got the it. real interesting thing or the question is just generally that we weren't great at following beforehand is do we want to do we want our employees to come to work sick and I, I think that sounds like such a basic question now two yeah. and a half years on from a global pandemic but beforehand you know there there were functional teams and organizations at AT&T where uh, it was it was kind of against the culture, against the code to uh, code a sick day, right? It's you know you right. walk in here with the, you know with the flu and you're sitting next to the person that's you know coughing and sneezing everywhere, and that was just yeah. like normal, right? That was part of hey, I'm a good employee, I, I come to work, and I think this is a real inflection point for for policy people, for HR people to ask some real important questions about the safety and, and in all facets of that about the workplace. And, and so, mm. you know, how do we leverage this in a way to uh, create that environment that we want to come to work in? We, we want our people to come to work and spend, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours here um, and not worried about getting sick, obviously with COVID, but also with, with other things. And so our, yeah, whatever, the the illness way, is. whatever the illness, right. And, and that, that was not always the case at, at a lot of different um, companies. And I've worked at multiple companies and you know, it was almost like a badge of honor to show up sick. And so I think how we, I think how we think about employee safety, I think how we, um, these questions we asked about overall well-being, um, right. and, and kind of that environment we're trying to create, these are really important moments. And I think we need to do that as an HR kind of industry collectively. And like, let's not, let's not backslide into that environment where 
you know, you're a, you're a cultural warrior, uh, you know, a, a hero at the company if you're coming to work sick. Like we need to take care of ourselves, but we also need to watch out for each other. And so yeah. I, I think these are these are things that are going to be questions that we continue to ask ourselves as we think about workplace and employee safety. Right. And, and I'm sure the hybrid policies have enabled um, the ability for these teams to work um, seamlessly. Like I could be sick and I can still log in for that important meeting if I still need to because of hybrid, right? Exactly. And, and also we're in a unique position. Um, we're AT&T, right? We're like okay. literally on our networks, uh, and on our products and services are are these solutions for connectivity being enabled, right? And so, right. Um, you know, it's uh, part of this too is is talking about the benefits of our own products and services. And you know, if our if our network and our that's maintaining connectivity wasn't up during the pandemic, your ability to work remotely, um, our ability for kids to remote learn, like that wouldn't have been feasible. And so. The, the other interesting thing kind of back to the, the COVID example is we had about 60,000 employees that they never went home. They, they were essential, wow. essential employees. They were maintaining the network. They were um, keeping the retail stores open so that you could go in and make sure your phone was working or you, you had the connectivity, uh, the broadband connectivity, uh, the, the call centers. We, we had a few call center people uh, go work from home, but most of those people were still going into the workplace uh, to make sure that all your questions were answered for how you stayed connected for your work and for your, for your personal life. So um, that was a real you know, unique situation managing the COVID responses. We had people that never went home. They never left and, and they had to be there um, every wow. day through these really trying, trying times. And so, and then we had, you know, several, about 140,000 people that, that did go work from home. Right. And so how we brought them back into the workplace through hybrid or, or how we're continuing to evolve there. And then the messaging and the words really matter uh, for the people that never left. Right, it's not return to work for them. They they were always they were always they were all so, yeah. And just like, hey, wait a second, we don't we don't want to make anybody feel like we're not remembering their really above and, and the beyond sacrifice, uh, sacrifice yeah. and contribution to the to keeping us connected during the pandemic. So right. you know, all that's a real challenging balancing act for us, and we work really closely with our our communications partners and our change management partners. On, on all on all these uh, not only the technology but the policies because uh, we've just got this broad spectrum of um, of employee profile who've been doing their work in a variety of ways the last you know two plus years and so right. we're we're trying to be really thoughtful about um, employee experience and understanding all those unique kind of journeys and um, and, and and create solutions both from policy and a technology perspective that kind of meets them where they are and amplifies their ability to connect and collaborate. Wow. Um, so that's, that's fundamentally, I mean, AT&T kept the, 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 the country connected. Literally everybody got, um, got to work from home because of AT&T. I mean, uh, the percentage that use the services, but it's interesting because it's an enabler and it's an essential services enabler, uh, more than just saying, hey, we can go home and we can work from home and be safe. You guys actually put 
put uh, literally put your lives at risk to ensure that the world kept running. Yeah, and and these are these especially these frontline employees uh, who, if you if you are were getting broadband installed or uh, needing on-site troubleshooting, they had to physically go in your home. Yeah. And there, this was happening from the beginning of the pandemic when you know we we were still learning a lot about the virus itself. We didn't have vaccines, and so um, you know. I, I was involved in conversations I never thought I would be involved in as an HR person talking about, you know, what's our ventilation system? Like what, what system did we install and how old is it and how old is the building? And, um, you know, these were all really critical measures of success as we thought about our response to, and our ways that we were keeping our employees and customers safe. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I sometimes worry about the things I, uh, that left my brain, uh, to create space for, uh, all these uh, new kind of random protocols and things I had to, you know, take on. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a real trying time and it continues to be a trying, trying time in a lot of ways because the, the science is evolving. The, the virus itself, you know, continues to evolve and we have these different variants. And so I know for a lot of HR professionals, it's, it's that balance with um, when do we come back, right? When it, when do mm. we bring people in mass back to the office? I'm sure many of your your CEOs and and CHROs are probably excited and and wanting to get back to that in person collaboration. I know that's a conversation that we've had a lot, and and we've we're, we are bringing more people back, but it's it's always finding that balance, um, and it's and it's explaining the why. Why now? Why do we need to do this? Uh, for many people, uh, they've gotten very comfortable working, and they've learned these behaviors of working remotely over the last couple of years. And so, in in some ways, it's it's unwinding and, and re resetting some of those learned behaviors, which, as we all know, is is really hard to do. Uh, yep. And we get we get very locked into habits and routines. And so, you know, giving the why and not just the the order to come back. Um, yep. and, and really being uh, as transparent as possible in the messaging is, is critical. And it's, uh, we've, we've been bringing people back to the offices really since the April timeframe uh, of 2022, uh, right. kind of doing that at scale. Um, and, uh, and, and not only couched in the policy, but also in the, the why it's good for us from a collaboration and a, and a connectivity perspective. Um, that is supplemented, obviously, by our core technology and, and the, the networking that we as a company provide. But um, there are just times where we need to look each other in the face and, and uh, work on a project or uh, talk about an issue. And, and so it's really just reinstilling with our people kind of culturally why that matters. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd read up a couple of um, articles where uh, they said, uh, come to work in your work from home attire, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite interesting. I mean, how people turned up, uh, but it also shows how people were so comfortable with the whole culture of, Hey, you know, this is what happened guys. And it's, it, it was across the board. Right. And we evolved into it now to say, okay, what's this new normal that we need to now find what's the new equilibrium that we need to get to, to, um, be productive first and foremost, um, uh, 
I, I know technology solved a lot of the the, the communication, the productive uh, aspects of things, but um, there is a unique feel to when you see a person face to face and have that discussion, right? Whatever it is, whether it's a brainstorming session or um, if if you're just um, crashing ideas or having a simple conversation, it's really unique to do it face to face in person versus over a video call. It's it's completely different, and I think that's the fundamental crux, right? Of um, coming back to work. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean that's where I or that's how I saw it when I, when I heard all the the return migration within quotations, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. And the one, some of the most interesting conversations that I learn a lot from or connect dots from are mm-hmm. those, uh, those sidebar conversations that happen after the phone has been hung up or the uh, yep. teams, you know, the teams meetings have been closed and you're you know talking to three other people and you're walking back to your desk or, or you're going down to get a coffee or something. Oh, totally. And, and it's, it's that like seven minute conversation that happens after the meeting ended. Um, that's the, the insight, the aha moment, the, Oh, yep. I didn't know you were working on that also kind of thing that um, can spark, you know, six more hours of, of work and collaboration and maybe a, a solution. And so, you know, I don't know how you bottle that or you solve for those kind of micro interactions with technology. Yeah. I, I uh, and I'm sure there are many smart people that are, are working on that. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think there's, I do think there's just some value in those kinds of, of face-to-face interactions. 100%. Fully acknowledging that I, um, you know, back to some of my consulting days before AT and T, I worked on projects with people literally around the world that I never were, were never met in person, never face to face with, and we executed yeah. very solid projects, right? I mean, and, and pulled them off for our clients, um, working literally around the <laughs> around the globe and around the clock. Um, and using those ways of collaborating. So I, I think it's, you know, for sure been possible. And it's, it's something that happened well before the pandemic was here. Um, but to your point, like, I think there are types of roles, there are types of work, uh, there's types of collaboration that just really does benefit from the in-person. Um, and so I think the, I think what's important now is, is, is showing as a leader is, helping understand and helping our teams understand the why um, and being really structured um, to honor their time. Um, right. And, and so, you know, for me, I have a lot of data analysts and, and technologists that are in my organization and mm. you know, some of them do their best work, you know, uh, at times I'm a, I go to bed early. Right. And so the, right. Some, some of their moments of inspiration come at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and, and they can do that work independently. Um, they can, they can do that programming. They can do that data modeling on their own and they don't need a lot of in-person collaboration time. And so what I'm trying to say to them is I just need your best work. Right. And if that's at two in the morning, that that's great. And then those times where I need you to be available to collaborate, maybe sometimes in person, whether that's a couple times a month or whatever it is, then let's work together on, 
in the construct of our policy and then kind of in within those guardrails to yeah. to create an environment that works culturally for our team and that we're able to deliver for our clients. And so I think I think what's not happening and and I, I I've I think we all read about this subject and I think there are uh, there are C-suite leaders, you know, across fortune companies that they just want it to be back to what it was before the pandemic. <laughs> and that's people coming in five days a week. And, yeah. um, you know, I think you see leaders embracing the fact that it's changed. And I think others are having a harder time with that, but, um, totally. you know, these, these worlds where you're trying to go back to this very structured, here are the days that you're in. Um, I just don't, for, for me personally and for how I want to run a team and work in a culture and collaborate, that's just, I think that's a, a relic of the past. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, I don't think it's the new norm at all. Um, I've, I've had um, multiple people tell me and, and, and say, oh, we've been far more efficient when we work from home. But that doesn't mean that we don't need the, the in-person meetings, right? Just Just this whole... Um, is it work from home, work at office, or hybrid that actually works? And even in hybrid, there are so many different models in hybrid. Of course, um, surrounded by the, the 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 policies and and structures that the organization provides. But if you look at the whole concept of work from home pre-COVID um, or pre-pandemic, it was probably um, a benefit that you gave a senior employee or, you know, it was something that was unique, that was special, that was given. But today it's, it's, Hey, if you don't give it to me in this company, I'm going to the next company that gives it to me. Yeah. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Right? It really was an earned, it was like an earned uh, outcome, right? You exactly. could trust, you could trust that person to be highly proficient and, uh, and get their stuff done and still, collectively collaborate and all that uh, that stuff remotely right and it was it was almost like an honor to have that and yeah it's uh that's been uh commoditized right <laughs> in a very uh in a very short period of time um, yeah yeah and i, I, I mean think that, yeah i think those are important points there's a, a lady on my team who she uh she was in town um last week for this we had an, an in-person planning meeting um right. for our our people analytics team and she reminded me I've been, I've, we would call it a teleworker. She said, I've been a teleworker for 29 years. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a great reminder The like, you're getting all worked up over this thing that I've literally been doing my whole career here. Um, right. and, and she's one of those people. I really think it's a skill though. And she's one of those people that sometimes you forget she's not here because she's, she's, she's so good at making herself feel present whether it's in a meeting, knowing right. when she needs to physically fly in and be here. Um, and she's, mm. she's in a leadership position on the team. She, you know, leads a, a pretty big team. Um, and, and you, you forget the fact that she lives, you know, 800 miles away, but she does. Wow. Um, and it's, I do think there is a, it's a skill and, and for these people that are, are very, you know, highly proficient at being a remote employee, but still feeling like they're part of the team. Um, you know, I, I think there are people that they've earned that right and, and, um, and have been doing it for a long time. And so as a, as a policy person, it's like you can't forget that too, right? This, this existed True. far before COVID. And so like, how do you have the right structures and the right, um, ways of, of kind of serving the broad needs of, of both the business, but employees and, and trying to thread that needle as best we can. Got it. 
Um, I want to jump into the technology and analytics part um, of your role as well, and just to kind of understand the landscape in HR as well. Um, there was a, a huge digitization that took place um, in HR functions. Um, a lot of it existed, but you know, it wasn't like a hundred percent onboarded kind of of uh, experience for the employees. But the moment they became I mean, you had to work from home. It then suddenly became uh, a lifeline for people to literally um, embrace technology because there's no other way to do it, right? Um, that transition for an organization of your size, um, how how difficult was it or how easy was it? And what really helped you ease yourself or what were the changes that you had to make in order to make sure that you know, everybody was on board because large organizations are in essence, a large cogwheel and it's very difficult to change things on the fly. You'll literally have to stop and then, you know, rearrange stuff. And I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're articulating it. Well, I mean, th- this is going to sound like a, str- like a strange reaction uh, or strange comment. This mm-hmm. is where governance is, is very important. Um, right. And, and that is, I, I think in many ways, that word has a, a pretty negative meaning connotation, or connotation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, in that environment and at, at scale with technology solutions, this is where some like strong governance and, and decision rights, I think, is important. Right. Because during, especially during um, a, a situation like a, like a COVID situation where there is the realization, oh man, we've got to solve this with technology. Um, we, we've got to bridge these communication gaps, these collaboration gaps um, with technology. And then for, I'm sure for organizations that maybe didn't have a strong governance model or just said, empowered the business to say, hey, do whatever you need to do, then mm-hmm. you get a variety of different solutions, right? You've got this group using Slack, this group is on Teams, this other organization, <laughs> you know, has selected some, you know, or maybe got some Google chat consultant, consultant, well, there's Google chat, but then, you know, somebody with deep pockets, it's like, I'm going to get my own bespoke, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, super, super expensive solution um, because, you know, I can afford to do that. And this will, this, I'm going to make this, you know, meet my needs. And so, what I what I think was huge for us was um, coming together with our partners in the IT organization and saying, "Hey, we've got to move quickly here, and we've got to establish some preferred platforms or solutions that we're going to make standard across." Um, right. And so, and and we uh, fortunately were able to do that pretty quickly, um, and we in the process of that we were actually able to sunset some systems that we had kind of been on our radar for a long time um, mm. that had a lot of like really entrenched kind of user bases that didn't want to move away with it. So we legacy had a home, systems. legacy systems. We had a homegrown messaging system uh, okay. that we called Q um, that is completely duplicative to like Microsoft Teams. Um, right. And and so, but people just liked it and it had fun emojis that we created and, you know, all this stuff. And right. that, that was like com- completely duplicative. But also the problem is 
sometimes I needed to ping somebody and they're not on cue or, or, or I'm on it or I'm not on it because I'm doing teams or I'm doing, uh, you know, Google, whatever. Um, and so it's just like finding people to talk. Yeah. There was a whole, our marketing group had a big Slack presence. And so (laughs) it's like, but then it's now we're creating barriers. We're creating friction for collaboration and communication. Um, so it's, if, if I have to be on, five different messaging platforms or, or, you know, instant messenger platforms, that's not productive to me. And so this was actually a catalyst to get more focused and consolidate, consolidate around some core platforms at the enterprise level. Um, And so we, we've moved um, to Microsoft teams and we're, we're all in on teams. And so did people get really frustrated when we shut down some of these legacy systems. Yes, absolutely. We heard all about it. You know, I'm sure my name was used in vain a lot and I got all the nasty grams. Um, but you know, it, it's now easier. We're all in one place and it's easier to connect with people. Like I, I know that I can go in, in the directory and ping anybody in the company. Cause we're all on there now. Um, and you right. know, the people hated moving away from Slack and, and I, I understand why. And they had a lot of history there. Um, from, from using that platform, but, you know, getting on these kind of preferred enterprise wide platforms uh, was a very good move for us. Um, and it's, it's easier to maintain. It's, it's way cheaper. <laughs> we're spending, we're spending way less dollars, um, having coalesced around these kind of core platforms. Um, and so we, we did that with communication. We're all around teams. Um, we're, we're a pretty big, uh, Salesforce shop. And then we're we're really starting this kind of journey with ServiceNow around a lot of our kind of back office automation and a lot of our kind of non-workday uh, HR processes that that's going to be a, a preferred platform for us that we're, um, you know, just starting to get a lot smarter on. And so, like, putting the stakes in the ground ar- around these, these platforms that we can build on and innovate on, I, I think, is really important. And that would not have happened without a really good governance and kind of structured uh, model between HR and IT. And um, I think that is, that is a good example of, of why you need governance. Um, I'm sure we've all had and have the scars of like bad governance experiences, but this is a place where it enabled us to go fast. We had the right kind of model and um, and leaders there to represent and and make the decisions Um, that ultimately in the long run was just a a good thing for the business. Wow. And yeah, change is something that nobody really, I mean, individually, I think it's, it's, it's a personal choice. Some people are happy to change and switch and, you know, do whatever they, they need to do. Others are like really slow and don't want to do it. It's a personal choice almost. But yeah, I get, I totally understand where governance plays that important role. And, and I completely um, agree with you. Um, I've got a hindsight question for you. Um, which might seem quite weird and you might have answered it as well along the description that you've had so far. But five years ago, did you ever think that we would be where we are in terms of um, technology implementation in HR, specifically in HR uh, and, you know, uh, organization-wide as well? Uh <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a provocative question. I like that. 
So oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't... I will just say on the record, COVID is horrible. <laughs> it's It's been a horrible uh, experience. We've lost team members. I second that. Um, yes. Um, you know, I've, I've lost, uh, unfortunately, like uh, family members to it. Oh, um, and so, and so, yeah, it's, and, and, and then there's been so much, even if you haven't suffered like a personal loss um, of, a, of a person, but we've all lost um, experiences. We've lost lost time with loved ones, friends and family, you know, it, it has been just categorically bad. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be living with the consequences, you know, to our, our mental health and our well-being for a really long time, our physical health as well, for a long time from this. However, you know, I do think that there are there are positive things um, that come out of even like tragedy and tragic experiences. And I do think it it made us accelerate uh, in, in a variety of different ways. Um, some that, that are, are touch HR and touch HR systems, right? I mean, right. you look at, um, so I, I spent a lot of time in my career in the benefits organization and, and working on healthcare and uh, among other things. And we were dying to get more people to embrace, um, telemedicine, right? It's like, and it, for so long, it's like less than 1% of our, all of our visits were, were through that channel. And then like, look at where we are now, right? People see the convenience of it. Um, and, and you, you know, it took something horrible, but it accelerated that. And now, you know, that's, that's just a part of how a a large plan sponsor is going to deliver, um, and, and, and serve their members right through, through these technologies. I think our proficiency, um, you know, with with these uh, platforms like Teams and Zoom and all, all those things that enable us to be connected. Um, yesterday was my dad's 80th birthday, and we did a family Zoom. And my dad wow. is 80, and he is able to, you know, navigate a Zoom call and share pictures and like do all those things. Um, and so it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not so certain that he could have done that without a bunch of practice during the pandemic, right? It's like, Dad, click this button. Uh, you know, right. I, I live I live um, a 14 hour drive away from my parents, so I, you know, wow. I don't get to see them a, a lot. Um, and, and we did a, a weekly Sunday Zoom call and, and have kept that going across our extended family. And so, you know, I do think that there are these things where um, it advanced, we had, we had to embrace a new way of doing things, a new way of staying connected, a new way of working. Um, and so I, I think the net result of that will be uh, very positive. And so I, I think, um, whether it's the digital adoption, um, that, that has been the outcome of this, we know that there will be better, there already are better solutions coming to market and, uh, that enable us to collaborate. Um, and, and like, those are all just net positive, good things that are, that are an outcome of something that was pretty terrible. So, um, you know, I probably, or if we wanted that to happen organically without this like big disruptive event, it might've taken 10 years for something that happened, uh, Mm. in two years. And so I think we have to, especially I'm kind of a, glass half full person. And so it's like you try to focus on those those things that are positive outcomes of, of something that was super trying. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be, there are already things that you can look on and say, this accelerated what would what are good outcomes and, and good, uh, better, much better employee experiences or user experiences um, by leveraging te- technology and data. And I think we're going to have a lot more of those as we just continue to drive forward. A hundred percent. 
um, going back to the whole concept of technology solutions getting better and better every day. And um, a lot of these solutions are basically software as a service solutions, SaaS, right? Um, have you, I mean, I don't really need to say, oh, you know, has there been an increase in SaaS products? I mean, there's been an exponential increase, uh, whether it came from um, investors investing into SaaS products or, um, you know, um, potential founders coming and putting their heads together, problem solving for minute things to complex problems, right? And a lot of that has gone down uh, a software as a service uh, model. Um, you mentioned Workday, um, and that's pretty much a SaaS model in, in itself, right? Um, the question here that I have is, um, we have legacy systems, and I know you touched that, but we have got legacy systems and we've got uh, SaaS products um, where we w might sometimes want to go for the advanced SaaS product, but the legacy system has so many compliances in place that it's preferred over the other, um, you know, more uh, easy to uh, pivot and maneuver uh, SaaS product. Um, was that ever an issue, especially because you deal with policy and you deal with um, technology as well? Was that ever a, a serious issue within the organization and across organizations, um, you know, AT&T size? Because enterprises generally are, uh, and I'm, I'm making a generic statement here, but enterprises generally are uh, more difficult to change than, uh, let's say, a startup, which is very easy to change in the way that it, it, it operates. Yeah, to uh, totally agree with that. And I would say we're still fighting this SaaS battle every day. Okay. Um, every single day. And, and so whether it's a compliance concern, um, a pro just a business unit, a, a, a client of ours saying, I don't want you to disrupt my process. Like I have a system that meets my requirements. Right. Um, cause I think, I think the reality it, having, if you've, if you've been through a few of these is that, you know, maybe you get 80 to 80 to 90% of the functionality out of your uh, with your out-of-the-box SaaS solution. Exactly. And so one of the hardest things to do is to convince your client, whoever that is, uh, another part of HR, uh, the business, an external customer, whoever, that they can live on 90% of their old functionality. And you can talk about your speed, your how much cheaper it is, uh, how, how, you know, how you can move so much faster. Um, but... You, at some point, you have to have that conversation of, but you're not going to get X, Y, and Z out of this. Right. And so we come from this culture that is really used to these bespoke, uh, <laughs> fully customized solutions that take two years to build and implement, but that gives you 100% of your flex of your of your requirements. requirements. Um, and and so it's hard. It's that's a hard conversation because it's about trade offs. And so I believe that we're going into, and I'm, I'm talking about a more macro environment now, right? And so, um, you know, I, I think things are 
expensive and they're starting to maybe economically things are starting to slow down a bit and we're starting maybe maybe we're we're in the second quarter of that i think we'll find out later this week um if you know i'm i'm not an economist and so i'm not going to say the recession word right and <laughs> and and give you the textbook definition of it or not you know yeah. but it it sure feels like from a macro perspective we're either in one or we're we're heading towards one right um and so i believe that in that kind of environment so we're going to see those macro trends first and then that's going to that's going to materialize in you, you know missed earnings or or um at a company specific level you know the the need to maybe tighten the belt and i think as a as a technologist <clears throat> as as someone in hr that's another door it's another opportunity to say hey we need to think differently about our business and so that means um making some strategic investments in more SaaS based solutions to migrate away from these legacy systems, which require, you know, X number of people to maintain, or, um, some of these, like we have to pay a third party vendor because we don't have that skill set resident within our team to make modifications to it. And, and it, that, that stuff gets really expensive. So, you know, for me, I'm trying to do a couple things, move us into more SaaS based solutions so that we can go faster and control costs. Help help clients understand the trade-offs uh, in their requirements versus what we get out of the box. And then probably most importantly, reskill and reposition my own team members to have as much of the technical knowledge and expertise resident within our organization so that we are less reliant on third-party developers um, or, or, or vendors to maintain some of these legacy systems. And so that's a... That's about kind of you know training and development and, and positioning within my own team. But I want to be as self-sufficient as I can be on the kind of core platforms that we're going to build our ecosystems around and build our solutions on. And so, um, you know, we put our we put uh, some of our team members through uh, a three-day boot camp last week to learn about ServiceNow configuration because I don't want to be reliant on a system integrator to come in and do that. Uh, Cause I'm just assuming I'm not going to get the money to do it <laughs> um, as, <laughs> as things, as we start to get really um, conscious of where we're spending money and, you know, budgets have a, um, a strange way of disappearing over time. And so like, I want to be as, as self-sufficient as possible uh, to maintain our own systems and uh, have those, those skill sets resident within our team. So obviously the more we can move to SaaS based products, the better, um, and where we need to get uh, even better in our consultation of our clients and understanding how that impacts them. Awesome. So um, I, I completely understand your, your mindset towards it, but is that the landscape? Is that what most enterprises are doing as far as you're aware? Like uh, I'm sure you, you're in touch with contemporaries across uh, other organizations as well but is that is that the generic trend where they say okay we need to move towards SaaS based pro uh, products versus you know get legacy systems to catch up or create custom solutions that we need i mean custom solutions aren't going to go away 100 percent. there's going to be a necessity for it at some point because you'd have a trade-off which you cannot uh, i mean you'd have some factor that you cannot trade off right um yeah right yeah, I think we're all in in the situation of uh, is of build versus buy, right? I mean, I, I think if you're if you're 
in these roles, you're going to be faced with those with those choices. And then it kind of comes down to capital allocation and how much budget you have and, and how are you going to go solve those problems with those with that decision set. And so, you know, for um, sometimes you're forced into one of those <laughs> those decisions, right? Because you don't have the resource, um, and, and and sometimes you're led to that. And, and you know, preferably you you get there on your own based on you know a good a good analysis of the situation. I think right. I I for the last you know several years, it was hard to not run into some Fortune company that was doing a workday implementation. <laughs> I mean, it's like every <laughs> everywhere I went, whether it was a, a virtual conference or pre-COVID, it was a an in-person conference or client client council or whatever. I felt like, you know, half half of the people were were doing a workday implementation or some other kind of SaaS uh, SaaS based right. implementation. So, you know, to me, anecdotally, with the with kind of the people that I connect with, that seems to be the trend for me mm. um, that that I've experienced. Um, you know, I I think too, and not to be again super macro, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a venture capitalist, I'm not an economist, but um, it, there was so much investment into SaaS companies and new SaaS companies and startups, and that that macro environment has really changed, right? And there's, um, yeah. you know, vent, venture capital is is thinking twice about and being really um, really focused on how they're allocating their dollars. And so mm-hmm. are we going to see as many uh, solutions? Um, are we going to see more consolidation? Is there going to drive more M&A as you're going to get these companies that maybe aren't going to make it because they don't have the run rates um, and don't have the the uh, revenue to, to survive a prolonged downturn? I, I don't know what that's going to mean, but I, I think I think you're already seeing a, a, a slowdown in where those dollars are going. So I think the number of net new solutions will, will get rationalized. And then the ones that you know still have good ideas and good teams, do they get scooped up by some of these larger players that are more established? Um, and do we? what does that mean for bundling? What does that mean for uh, kind of longer term uh, product roadmaps and, and what's going to be offered to us as large buyers mm-hmm. um, that are now, you know, is now an, another kind of set of, um, inputs to our build versus buy uh, decision making. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm like watching and, and trying to get smart on, and see how this evolves, uh, kind of over the coming years. Awesome. Um, so I'm 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 gonna move away from the heavy stuff right now, and just ask a couple of uh, quick rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. Um, sure. What's your favorite hobby? Oh, hobby. Uh, I have, uh, I have two small boys. So I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And so, um, they occupy a disproportionate amount of my free time. I, I, Um, I I hear you. (laughs) I've got three boys, so I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm trying to selfishly guide their interests down uh, to things that I'm interested in too. Uh, okay. So it's like, Hey, let's uh, I I'm, I'm really pushing. Uh, I like to watch sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like, uh, I like to watch American football and also, uh, uh, you know, uh, international or soccer uh, football or soccer. And so I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get them really excited about that. So I buy them nice. jerseys and talk about, they, they always ask me, uh, my five-year-old says, uh, 
which team are you winning for? Uh, which is like, uh, I've tried to correct the grammar of that a few times, but uh, you know, it's like the red team or the blue team. It's like yeah. we're for the blue team, and so I'm, I try to get them excited about that. And uh, and my my five year old is playing soccer on the weekends, and uh, oh, wow. so I I am an assistant coach on his <laughs> soccer team, uh, nice. which is pretty hilarious. It's basically just me trying to keep the kids out of the traffic basically um <laughs> that is my uh and bring the bring the bring the water and the orange slices and uh, yeah keep the kids um out of traffic so that that's what i do in my spare time okay cool but that's that's, that's such a rewarding hobby by the way i mean i can i can vouch for that so, for sure yeah awesome um in terms of phone preferences are you an iphone user or an android user I am an iPhone user. This is uh so and this is I'm not doing uh, very well at rapid fire, but um <laughs> my my um someone someone recently asked me uh dating advice and I have uh I have not dated in a very long time, thank God. And I said my only advice was um date someone on the same operating system as you. Uh and they <laughs> thought that that was like terrible advice but i am an iphone person and, right. and mac and everything and my wife is an android person and oh, so gosh. it is uh it is exhausting um and <laughs> she neither of us will relent uh to switching and so yeah we have weird shared calendars and it's like impossible to send her a video and uh have it play without looking all weird and so uh, i'm a, very much yeah. iphone and i would encourage everyone to um, date and marry on the same operating system that's, that's that's actually the first time I've heard that, and it's quite interesting. But I can I can totally understand where that comes from. That's the the funny part about it. What were you, okay, um, next question. Let me also. I'm also not doing really well asking questions. If you, if you dare, okay. <laughs> um, uh, your favorite book? Oh man. Uh, so, ah, uh, yeah. There's a lot to choose from. Um, I, I love, uh, uh, yeah, this is, this sounds like so cliche, but, um, the great Gatsby, uh, like is, uh, a great book and it, and I, I guess we read it, I don't know if I was in middle school or something, but, um, it like, uh, sparked, uh, interest and passion in reading, um, and just storytelling that, uh, has, been later butchered through a number of movies uh, that are not very good, but uh, it's amazing writing. Uh, right. So I would check that one out. And like a workbook that I like a lot um, is uh, Deep Work, um, which is just a really interesting set of frameworks for how to you know schedule your time and, and set yourself up to um, really do um, and have folk have the ability to focus and and kind of amplify your your work product. And so I, I really like, uh, the deep work book. Nice. Nice. All right. Um, my, um, probably my concluding question, if I don't <laughs> think of anything else, but if you could ask, uh, or if you could go and talk to your younger self, right? Let's say your 20 year old self, what would be the one advice that you give that person? Ben, these are very. This is a very deep question. Uh, after talking about SaaS, uh, <laughs> the, the, these are the exact opposite uh, end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, but I, I'll, so, I'll tell you why. Why I ask these questions, right? Everyone assumes that 
um, as a VP in AT&T, this person is um, someone unattainable or unapproachable, but in reality, we're all human and we all have our quirks and we all have our, um, you know, we're people, right? And it's questions like these that bring out uh, the, the reality of who we are as individuals. And, and so it helps the listeners to kind of say, oh, wow, I'm also like that person. I also like a book, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I love I love that. And uh, yes, I, I, I hope I'm approachable. Uh, and yeah, these are these are great questions. I mean, so um, I think that when you're younger um, and maybe and maybe sometimes when you're not so young, um, <laughs> we still are um, we still are chasing things, you know, mm-hmm. and like um uh, trying to just like amass these things in our lives. And so there's this like pretty cool quote um, that's like, it goes something like uh, to, a, to attain knowledge, you add things every day um, to attain wisdom, you subtract things every day. Um, and you're just like trying to like find this, you know, simplicity um, and like, structure around things that actually matter. Um, and so I think the 20 year old me, you know, was like, uh, I want a really cool car and I want, you know, I I'm chasing these like physical things because you assume, because they're status symbols or you see other right. people with them and you, you think that they'll make you happy. Um, and, um, you know, like I drive a Honda, right. <laughs> so <laughs> like, uh, you know, the, the much older version of me, uh, is, you know, it, it's not a minivan, but it's pretty damn close. Right. And so like, <laughs> you know, the 20 year, the 20 year old version of me would probably be appalled by that decision. Um, but it's like, eventually you learn, you know, my, my self-worth, my, mm. the things I value, um, the things that I want to prioritize are far more about the people and the experiences I have with those people and, and not about the, you know, the physical things or, or right. the things that are in my life that, um, you know, uh, maybe look or sound cool. Um, and so I, I think like just, especially, and I, I mean, I, I'm still working through, through all those things and what it means for me. Um, right. but I think the pandemic, I, I feel like I've talked about that like way too much in this discussion, <laughs> but, um, just maybe one last time it, I think Go it really it. made a lot of people, rethink a lot of things in their lives, right? Like what they're working on, who, uh-huh. who they're surrounding themselves with. Um, and for me, it, it was, um, things that I want to simplify things that I was like physical things or, or, or responsibilities that I'm trying to like shed my life and my, um, commitments around and just get back to this, the, the basics and the things that matter. And so, um, I really enjoy my work. Um, and the things I'm doing, but my work does not define me as a person, um, or the, what my own self-worth, like I derive that from my family, my time with my kids, um, you know, time with my wife, the, the friends that are dear to us in our lives and, uh, and family. And so like, I'm just trying to get back to that. And, and that's like what I, that's kind of like what I was as a kid, right. When I was eight, uh, you know, and, and those were the things that mattered, um, then. And, um, and so like, it's just kind of this reset, this simplification, um, just maybe try to attain a little bit more wisdom, um, through, through taking things away. 
um, and just really focusing on the things that matter. Awesome. That's, that's amazing words of wisdom, to be honest. Um, well, I think I've had a blast talking to you, Ben. It's been real fun. And um, from the Human Capital Show, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time um, and, you know, spend that time with us and give us an insight on how HR has changed and how it has evolved and how the future is so bright for HR, even though a lot of things happened through the pandemic and, um, you know, it sped up a lot of things that probably shouldn't, uh, I mean, sh should have happened even without the pandemic. But um, I just want to really thank you for the insights that you've provided today and for coming yeah. on the show. You bet. Thank you so much. Uh, it's always wonderful speaking to another Ben. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I completely concur with that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Take Thanks care. so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Liked this podcast? Then what are you waiting for? Subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. And don't miss another episode. Join us next week. Same time, same place. This show is brought to you by Zimeo.